if you would just extend your hands, just extend them. Father, we receive from you right now. We receive, Lord God, your word. Speak to us in this place. Challenge us in this place. Convict in this place. Encourage in this place. Give me ears to hear what your spirit will say to us and give me feet to walk in its truth. We say this, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Jonah chapter 2. If this is your first week with us, uh, you are joining us in week 2 of a series that we began last week that we have simply entitled, When God Loves You Enough to Interrupt You. We learned last week that if there is one word that sums up the book of Jonah, it is the word interruption. That as we make our way through the story and narrative of Jonah, we, we are going to discover, as we did last week, that, that this story, this narrative, is one interruption after another interruption after another interruption. In fact, what we discovered last week was the whole book of Jonah opens up with an interruption. It says in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The, the idea here is, the implication in the original language Hebrew, the implication is that this word that came from God uh, was not something that was preplanned. It was not something that was in Jonah's iCal app. Or to you more seasoned saints, it was a word that was not found in his daytimer. That this was a, an out-of-the-blue text message from God. And this text message from God has to do with God's new assignment on Jonah's life. He says to Jonah in so many words, I want you to head due east to a place called Nineveh. I'm about to do a great work in that place, and I want you to join in with what I'm doing in that place. I am calling you and inviting you into that assignment. And we discovered last week that oftentimes the assignments of God are tethered into his interruptions. So that if we want to discern, God, what are you calling me to do? Because there's a call on your life. There's an assignment on your life. That no one is here by accident. That you, according to the psalmist, have been fearfully and wonderfully made. That your mama and daddy may not have planned on you being here, but God did. And the very fact that you're still breathing today is a message from the sovereign God that I'm not done with you. That he's not finished with you yet. And so that if I want to discern, God, what is your assignment on my life? Give me also the ability to discern your interruptions. 
I know, for example, that God has assigned me to serve this church because I was minding my own business in New York City when God interrupted me. God's interruptions are linked to his assignments. But we're going to discover today there is another reason why God at times interrupts us. Pick me up in Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, underline that phrase, we're going to have fun with that phrase, from the belly of the fish, saying... I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet, I love this, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those, verse 8, who pay regard to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Some of you left last week and you left with attention. And for many of us, last week raised more questions than it provided answers. Because most of us in this room, if we've been following God for any significant period of time, we can all attest God's interrupted me. In fact, if you have not been interrupted yet, keep on living. But the question you may have left with last week is, when God interrupts me, what do I do? I I, want to teach this passage, Jonah chapter 2, because this passage is going to tell us what to do when God interrupts you. What to do when God interrupts. Interrupts you. I'm going to show you three things to do, not if you get interrupted, but when you get interrupted. In the game of sports, there's something called a timeout. All a timeout is, is an interruption. More times than not, when the coach calls a timeout, it is because this coach is seeing things on the field or on the court they do not like. The, this, this coach is, is watching the events unfold among his or her players. And this coach is concerned. 
Maybe the players aren't executing the plays or the players are making too many turnovers like last night, Golden State. And so here is this coach concerned that things are not going well among his team on the court or on the field. So this coach will call a timeout. All a timeout is, is an interruption. Now watch it. The coach does not interrupt the game just for the sake of interrupting the game. But the coach has a purpose behind the timeout. So that this coach will pull her players off of the field, off of the court, will huddle with those players, will address the issues, will address the problems, will address the discontinuity, and then will remedy these issues, will remedy these problems, and then send that team back out onto the field, back out onto the court, with the hopes of redirecting and rerouting the behavior, but they want to redirect and reroute the behavior to transition the team from a posture of defeat into a trajectory of victory. So that, watch this now, timeouts, which are interruptions, are always done for a purpose, and that purpose is to reroute you, but they want to reroute you so that you are positioned for victory. If you follow God long enough, God will call time out. There there are times when God will look at your life and will look at my life and will not like what he sees. That there are times in my life when God peers over the balcony of heaven And he looks at my life and he says, your life is out of alignment for my assignment on your life. So that there are times, I don't like this, when God has to snatch me off the court. There are times when when God has to set me down on the bench. But when God does this, he is not being punitive. When, 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 when God does this, he, he is not being condemning. For as Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But when God calls time out in my life, he does it for the purpose of saying, Brian, I need to reroute you. I, I need to redirect you so that I can take you from a posture of losing into a trajectory of winning. We see God doing this in the scriptures. God says to the nation of Israel, I have victory in mind for you. I want to take you from a posture of being a slave into a trajectory into being a victor. So I'm going to take you, Israel, from the nation of Egypt, and I'm going to take you to your destination, to my assignment on your life, which is Canaan. Now this journey... From Egypt to Canaan was only supposed to be six weeks. But a six-week journey ends up being a 40-year time out. Because along the way, God's people 
kept living in sin, kept worshiping idols. They construct a calf. They grumble and murmur and complain against God. They get off into some stuff that they shouldn't get. So God has them take perpetual laps around Mount Sinai. He calls a timeout. And watch it. He calls time out because of their sin. Hard question. Don't raise your hand. Anybody ever been put in time out? Anybody ever experienced God? Oh, take heart, child of God. When God calls time out, not if he does. When God calls time out, it's not to punish you. It's to reposition you. It is to realign you. It is to take you from defeat into victory. Now, when I ask the question, if God has put anybody in time out, if Jonah were in the audience, he would raise both his hands and both his feet. Jonah would say, I know what it's like to be put in time out. God shows up to the prophet Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, and he tells him, I've got an assignment on your life. I want you to go due east to Nineveh. Jonah rejects God's assignment and decides to go in the opposite direction. He decides to go due west to Tarshish. We learned last week a couple of things about Jonah's sin. Number one, we learned that all sin is intentional. Jonah didn't just fall into this ship that just so happened to be going into the opposite direction. No, that was pre-planned. And we learned last week, if there's one phrase I want us to strike from our vocabulary, it is to strike from our vocabulary the word, so-and-so fell into sin. More times than not, we don't fall into sin. We go into sin with our eyes wide open. So here is Jonah, he is intentionally walking and living in sin, and here we see the sovereign grace of God who does not let Jonah do what he wants to do, but he comes after Jonah, and he comes after him through a storm, and he comes after him through the lots, and he comes after him through these pagan pilots, and he comes after him through a great fish. We see God sovereignly and graciously coming after him, and someone right now, you've got a problem with that because someone right now, you're saying, how is that grace? Because you think grace is God letting you do what you want to do. Romans chapter 1 says, speaking of people walking in sin, that God turned them over to a reprobate mind. The worst thing, the worst thing God could ever do to you is to say, go ahead. The worst thing God could ever do to you is to let your hand go and to let you do you. It is an act of grace that God comes after Jonah. It didn't feel like grace, but it was grace. And last week our story ended in verse 17. Now this is where I want us to pick up. The text says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, hear it now, and the Lord, circle it, underline it, put smiley faces around it, appointed, appointed, 
appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Our text is originally written in language called Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for appointed means to assign. It means to purpose. It means to ordain. So that what this text speaks of is that Jonah didn't just happen to be in the sea, and the fish didn't just happen to see Jonah, and the fish didn't just happen to swallow Jonah because the fish just happened to be hungry. No, God had created and assigned that fish to swallow that prophet. So that one of the things that we see here is God's interruptions are linked again to his divine assignments. Now Jonah chapter 2 verse 1 says, Then Jonah, hear it now, prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now let me just give you a couple quick things before we get to the main part of the sermon. Uh, I want to just give you a couple indicator lights of how to know when you're in an interruption. The first way you know that you're in an interruption is that you are in an inconvenient place. You are in an inconvenient season. The text says that Jonah is in the belly of the fish. It stinks. It's tight. He can't really move. Not only that, the acidic properties of the stomach of this fish is is trying to eat through him and decompose him. It is a place of, of, of crisis. It is a place of inconvenience. It is a place that feels like death. That is why later on he talks about, he likens the belly of the whale to Shoal. Shoal is the Hebrew idea of death. If you are ever in a situation where it feels like death, you may be in your season of interruption. If you're in a situation where you, where you feel isolated and lonely and restricted and you feel as if you are in crisis and things feel as if it's tight, you could be in your season of interruption. God's interruptions are never a walk in the park. God's interruptions are always inconveniences. And yet the reality is, don't miss this. If you get nothing else I say, get this. The reality is, is that while the belly of a fish is a bad place to live, it's a great place to learn. Oh, you missed that. While the belly of the fish is a bad place to live, it is a great place to learn. Anybody here ever been a part of something called an intervention? Anybody? Anybody? Interventions are radical interruptions. Whenever there's an intervention, in fact, there's a whole series on reality TV, of course there is, on interventions. Whenever an intervention happens, what, what happens is there's family, there's friends, there's loved ones who's concerned about an individual who's doing incredible damage to themselves. Normally through substance abuse, they are uh, either addicted to drugs or alcohol. They're doing something that is detrimental to their body. And so this family, these friends, these loved ones cannot sit by idly and watch. And so they'll up and surprise and, and interrupt this person. They'll sit down with this person. They'll hold an intervention. There will be tears. They'll read a letter and they'll say in so many words, we can't let you continue 
continue on in this course. And at some point, they'll send this person to rehab. Now, rehab is the belly of the fish. It is a place where you learn tough lessons. It is a place of crisis. It is a place of sickness oftentimes as your body is going through withdrawals and there's a repatterning of behaviors and you're having to confront those, those patterns of your life. Rehab is not comfortable, but it is necessary to reroute you into a trajectory of health. Well, when we come to Jonah, Jonah chapter 1 is the intervention. Chapter 2 is rehab. God is saying, Jonah, I've got to call time out in your life, and I need to deal with some patterns in your life. I could not sit back and just idly watch yourself go down a road that would lead to your peril. I had to stop you, and I had to deal with you. That is why Hebrews 12 says, whom the Lord loves. He disciplines you. Parenthetically, this is a rhema word. I'm just getting it spur, spur of the moment. L- listen, and I hope I can say this to myself when my kids get older. I think the worst thing I could do when my kids get older is to watch God interrupt them and then me come alongside and bail them out. Sometimes the worst thing you can do to your adult kids who are getting spanked by God, is to bail them out. Second thing I want you to see about these interruptions is as you just walk through Jonah chapter 2, one of the things that you understand is is that Jonah paints a picture in the belly of the whale that, that this was not a place where God was absent. Instead, it was a place where he experienced the intense presence of God. Here he is in the belly of a whale, and yet Jonah talks about crying out to the Lord and how the Lord reaches down and how the Lord rescues him and how the Lord meets with him. Interruptions is not the absence of God. In fact, if some of us could really be honest, some of the most intense experiences and moments we've ever had with God have not come on the mountaintop of victory, but have come in the valley of isolation and loneliness and betrayal and and crying ourselves to sleep at night. That's when God's been the most real. It's when we've gotten radiation treatments. Where we've experienced God. It's when, it's when literally we've had to trust Jehovah Jireh, God our provider, that we saw a dimension of God. Hear me, prosperity is a horrible teacher. God is not absent in the interruption. In fact, oftentimes he is as more real as he ever could be. Come on, David, can you testify? David would say, I could testify. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why, David? For thou art with me. You do understand that food rarely grows on the mountaintop, that the best food is in the valley. One more thing about interruptions. Inconvenient, intense presence of God. But look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out 
underline this phrase, upon the dry land. Now, now, let's just ask a question of the text. You ain't got to spend a day in seminary to know this. You ain't got to know no Hebrew to know this. Where did they start out? In the middle of the ocean. Where did they end up? On dry land, which tells us during the interruption, there was movement. We oftentimes think that interruptions are static parenthesis. That interruptions are just kind of me being on a stationary bike. What this text teaches us is that interruptions are also a time of movement. In Jonah's interruption, God was literally taking Jonah from one place to another. He was moving him. He was growing him. He was strengthening him. Your interruption here, this child of God, is not wasted time. God is moving you. God is growing you. God is strengthening you. God is developing you. There are things that God is doing. In fact, there are some things God can only do through the interruption. Now here's the question. What do I do in the meantime, in between time? What do I do when God interrupts me when I'm still in the middle of the ocean, but I have not reached dry land? What do I do when God calls time out? Three things. Number one, you better call on Yahweh. Don't miss that. Number one, call on Yahweh. Look at verse one. Here's Jonah. He's been interrupted by God. He's in rehab. He's in the belly of the whale, this tight, stinky, smelly place that feels like shoal, feels like death. And what does he say right off the bat? It says, then Jonah, underline it, prayed to the Lord. Stop right there. You'll notice that this word Lord is in all caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Hear me, that is for a reason. God has many names. Names like El, El Elyon, Elohim, Adonai, and Yahweh. The names of God in the scripture are never haphazardly used. But each of God's names point us to a dimension of his nature. And it is his nature to meet our needs. I'm going too fast. I'm going too fast. God's names point us to his nature. And it is his nature to meet our needs. So that when you find yourself in crisis, if you want a specific answer to your need, you better know the specific name of God. For example, my father's name is Crawford Wheeler Loritz Jr. Praise God, I was not a third. Some people know him as Crawford. His mama and daddy called him C.W. 
Some people call him pastor. Other people call him doctor. Me and my siblings, we call him dad. We call him dad for two reasons. Number one, he ain't our peer. And number two, we call him dad because this is the personal name for Crawford Wheeler Loritz Jr. It was a personal name that does not describe a national figure who's on the radio. But it describes a personal God who walks with me, who provided for me, who protects me, who looked out for me, who put money in my bank account. Who put food on my table. When we come to this text. The text does not say that Jonah called on El or El Elyon or Elohim or Adonai. The text says he called on the Lord. All caps which simply is Yahweh. Yahweh is the Hebrew equivalent of dad. This was the personal name for God. In fact, to the Jews, this name was so personal, watch it now, that the Jewish scribes would never spell the name completely out. They would always abbreviate it, and after they abbreviated it, they would burn the pen. It was a sacred name for God. It spoke of a God who didn't just sit up high, but who walked with me. It spoke of a God who fought my battles. Spoke of a God who put food on my table. It spoke of a God who rescued me out of trouble. In fact, this is the name that David uses in Psalm 23 when he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. But how does that psalm get started? The Lord is my shepherd. Jonah says, I have found myself in an interruption. I am in crisis mode. I am in the belly of a whale, and I want to get out of this place, and so I ain't going to just call on El or El Elyon or Adonai. I am going to call on Yahweh. Oh, I'm here to tell you that the same Yahweh who got Jonah out of the belly of the whale is the same Yahweh who wants to get you out of your crisis, is the same Yahweh who wants to meet with you, is the same Yahweh who wants to put food on your table. That's the God you need to call. Aren't you glad we got a personal God? Aren't you glad we got a dad? Aren't you glad we got a dad who looks out for us? That's the God you need to call. Jonah says, when I'm in crisis, I'm calling on Yahweh. Secondly, though, what do I do when I find myself in an interruption? One, you better call on Yahweh. But the second thing is found in verse 4. Will you look at it with me? Jonah said, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Wow. Verse 4 is interesting. It's, it's a tad bit schizophrenic. He, he, he begins by saying, I am driven away from your sight. It's as if he's saying, I'm done. It's as if he's saying, this is a wrap. It's as if he's saying, God 
You have given up on me. And then right on the heels of that despair, he now says in the latter part of verse 4, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Let me translate it for you. I'm coming out of this. What do I do when I'm interrupted by God? Number one, you better call on Yahweh. Number two, have hope. You got to be able to preach to yourself what the old Negro spiritual says, that trouble don't last always. That you're going to come out of this. this th there needs to be hope. What is hope? We, we got to talk about hope for a minute because, hear me, hope is not optimism. Did you get that? Hope is not optimism. We got a lot of people in our country who, who will go and buy lottery tickets and hope their number hits. In fact, I had a great aunt, my aunt Rebecca. My, uh, my, my dad used to send out these prayer letters to family members and friends, and, and uh, he would always end the prayer letter with a scripture reference. Well, my aunt Rebecca would take that scripture reference and use that as the numbers for the lottery ticket. <laughs> the Lord done spoke to me, 316. I want 316 on that one. That's not biblical hope. Hope is not optimism. Hope is much more. The writer of Hebrews says this about hope. Will you look at it with me on the screen in Hebrews 6, 19 to 20? We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Don't miss this. In this text, he links hope not to an un, not to a circumstance but he links it to a person and that person is Jesus Christ and he says i love the imagery that hope is anchored in Jesus I love this imagery when we come back to Jonah because he's in the middle of the ocean being thrown about. But what hope does is it anchors us even though the waves of life are bashing against us, even though there are situations when it feels as if I'm going to lose my mind. If you have Jesus and you have hooked up your ship to his anchor, it will keep you that hope. That's hope. Growing up, I was into wrestling, not wrestling, wrestling. In, in my day, it was um, WWF, World Wrestling Federation. Uh, I know I done lost a whole bunch of you, but just indulge me. Uh, I, I was into it. Ric Flair, anybody know about Rick, Ric Flair? Um, British Bulldogs, the Junkyard Dog. I mean, I was into all of it. I was into all of it. Now, I hate to burst your bubble, young kids. You might want to cover your ears. All that stuff is scripted. Hear me. It's not fake. It's scripted. There's a difference. In other words, when those two wrestlers get into the ring, if you were scripted to be victorious, you didn't have any worries. It's in the script. You're going to win. But the irony of wrestling is, even though the outcome is scripted, 
the bumps and bruises are real. I mean, you get, you get dinged up. The scratches are real. The blood is real. The bumps and the bruises are real. Even though the outcome is scripted, that's biblical hope. Let me remind you, friends, everything in our lives has been scripted. The outcome has been scripted. And the script says we win. Now hear me. Hear me. That doesn't mean you won't get some bumps and bruises along the way. That doesn't mean you won't go through some things along the way. But whatever you go through, remember that what the script says is we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. That greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. That the script says even though I may die with cancer in my body, that I'm not taking that cancer with me into heaven. That death is a form of healing. And so what happens when we're at an interruption? I'm not a big fan of the guy who said it, but it's great theology. Keep hope alive. We're coming out of it. Thirdly and finally, what do I do as we close? Look at verses 8 and 9. Jonah, in his interruption, the belly of the whale, he says, those who pay regard to vain items, to, to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You know what he's saying here? Jonah's saying, you win. God, you win. I'm submitting. He enters into that whale a sinful fugitive doing his own thing. At the end of his time, he repents. And when he repents, God commands the fish to spit him out. Hear me. The word repent simply means to change direction. It means to be rerouted. Follow the logic here. God calls time out to reroute you. If you want your time out to be a shorter season instead of a longer season, then repent. Because when you repent, you're aligning yourself with the whole purpose of the time out. And the purpose of the time out is to reroute you. And to repent means to reroute. Some of us are in a longer interruption than what God had planned because we are not repenting. Jonah says, I give. I'm rerouting. I'm doing not a 360. That starts you right back off where you were. I'm doing a 180. God, I'm going in your direction. As the band comes, I remember several years ago, my wife and I, we were in Hilton Head Island, and uh, I had been there several times, and uh, it was just my wife and I, no kids, just me and my girl, uh, kid-free zone, we, we just hanging. And um, I'd want to take her out to the special restaurant. I wasn't quite sure where it was, no problem. The car we were renting had a navigation system, and I keyed in the address to this place on my navigation system. And the voice that came over the navigation system was this lovely voice started speaking to me turn left 
turn right. Proceed one mile. And at some point, you know, I'm following directions, but at some point, I said, you know, because I've been here before, oh, I got this. I, I know where it is. I know where it is. But, but I kept the navigation system on, but I just, I wasn't following the instructions because I, I knew where I was going. Well, come to find out, I didn't know where I was going. And, and what I thought was a once nice voice, whoever programmed this car, she had a little bit of a sister girl to her when I wasn't following instructions. You could almost see this car rolling its neck. Turn left. And 200 feet, turn left. And 600 feet, turn left. And at some point, if I wanted to get to where I was going, I had to throw my hands up in the air and follow instructions. Friends, when God puts us in time out, it's to reroute us. It's to bring our wills into subjection to his will. It's to bring us to a point where we say, I give. That's why God does it. And as we prepare our hearts to the invitation, which the whole point is, God, what are you saying to me and how shall I respond? I love what the text says. Here's Jonah. I believe it's verse four. This sinner who's repenting. Jonah says, I shall look again to your holy temple. Wow. Here he is in the midst of his sin, in the midst of his interruption, in the midst of the belly of the whale. And yet he says, I shall look again to your temple. God's temple is God's presence. As my 11-year-old says, this freaks me out. Jonah is in his sin. But even in his sin, he says, I'm going to look to God's presence. Friends, it is a trick of the enemy. That oftentimes when we are in sin, the enemy would seek to tell us God doesn't want anything to do with you. And yet here is Jonah having the bold, audacious confidence in the midst of his time out to say, I'm going to look to your presence, to your temple. Why? Because Jonah knew the temple had something called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was the place where they sprinkled blood. And that blood covered sin. Friend, you may be out in the far country today. You may be in sin. You may be doing your own thing, but I've come by to tell you, don't believe the lie of the enemy who would seek to tell you, God doesn't want anything to do with you. God says, even in the midst of your sin, even in the midst of the affair, even in the midst of the lies, even in the midst of doing Project You, your way, ignoring him, that you can still look to the temple, to the presence of God. Why? Because Jesus Christ was that spotless lamb 
whose blood was sprinkled once for all on the mercy seat for you. That every sin you have committed, are committing, and will ever commit has been covered by his blood. He's waiting for someone today to throw up their sanctified hands and say, I give. I'm going to make a U-turn. God is speaking. God is speaking. God is speaking. God is speaking. And we say, God, speak, Lord, in this place. If you are here and you're saying, if I'm honest, Pastor, there's some things in my life right now, things in my life right now, that are out of alignment with God. I want to make a U-turn with my life. We don't need to know what those things are, but but I, I want my coming down front to be symbolic of me saying, God, I give. For some of you, it could be it could be salvation, the ultimate interruption. You may say, I want to give my heart and life to Christ right now. For someone else, you may say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm just not in alignment with what God has for me right now. Hear me, I've been there and done that. We don't know each other real well, but over the course of the next 20, 30 years, until I become pastor emeritus and gets on the next pastor's nerves, I'll share some things with you. But hear me, I know what it's like to call myself a follower of Jesus and to go to Tarshish when God says go to Nineveh. I know what that's like. And the quicker you can do this, the sooner you'll get back on the court. So I make a call today for those who don't know Jesus, who want to respond to his ultimate interruption of salvation. You want to come down front. We, we would love to pray with you and to show you how you can say yes to the greatest interruption in your life. It is what Jesus Christ did for you on a hill called Calvary. But I also want to make this appeal to Christians. Jonah's a believer who ran away from God. I, I, I want to speak to that person you're headed to Tarshish, you're doing your own thing, and you want to repent. Father, in the name of Jesus, walk the aisles. Spirit of the living God, spew someone out of the, of the belly of the whale. Draw someone today. Save someone's soul today. Draw someone into repentance, we ask in Jesus' name.